0: Well, good morning, everybody, <clears throat> and welcome uh, to TCC. Awesome to be together. And uh, I just looked over, and I saw Cheryl Burek here this morning, and uh, I realized that Cheryl is uh, British Columbia-bound very quickly. And I just wanted to say thank you to Cheryl because she has been part of the TCC ministry since almost day one. I remember I have a picture of you, Cheryl, moving all the stuff from Holy Trinity as we put it in that big trailer and moved it over to uh, Taylor. So she's been a part of our journey. She has served us so faithfully, and uh, you've often seen her up front here helping uh, us lead worship. So Cheryl, I'm going to embarrass you and have you stand. Let's give her a big hand. Blessings, blessings as you bless BC. Well, I see some uh, interesting signs uh, in different locations in our city. Uh, I just saw one out here on Twilliger Drive. Uh, It simply says, Look out for each other. Have you seen the sign? Look out for each other. Uh, And it it draws our attention, obviously, to the fact that uh, we're to look out for each other when we're driving. But it gets your mind spinning about a lot of things. Look out for each other. And that sign kind of flows right into our thoughts from the Word this morning. If you've just joined us at TCC, our series is uh, Core Strength, and part one uh, is focusing on loving God with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our strength. Luke 10:27, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And now we're in part two of the series, which is this whole sense of community, a friendship, and love your neighbor as yourself. So look out for each other. Uh, So what does that mean? Well, it means reaching out to those who are around us, as we talked uh, last Sunday, uh, the actual story of the Good Samaritan, not staying aloof from our relationships, but diving right in and becoming fully involved in the joys and the hurts of our friends and our neighbors. And now following right on the heels of the story of the Good Samaritan, if you're in Luke chapter 10, follow with me if you would, Luke chapter 10 and come down to verse 38. And we're going to underline the the story of a unique friendship that Jesus had with three siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Uh, And we quickly underline the fact as well that Jesus had a wonderful friendship with His disciples, with His twelve disciples. He spent a lot of time with them. But what we sometimes don't readily recognize is that Jesus had another set of friends that He seemed very comfortable with and in fact uh, He often gravitated to their home to spend time with them. So maybe it was a place where He felt very loved and supported and encouraged uh, certainly was a place where he felt very, very, very comfortable. I remember some years ago uh, taking a seminary course uh, where the professor actually picked up his suitcase and came to a city and students would come in and, from various uh, points and uh, meet in that city and we'd have a class. And I stayed with uh, some people that I knew somewhat. I didn't know them really, really well. But they were very hospitable and about the Wednesday of the week, I just got up and I walked to the refrigerator and grabbed a glass of milk. And that meant so much to them because they said, now we know you're at home with us. Now you're comfortable. And uh, that's how we want you to feel. Our home is your home while you're here. And that, I look back and I remember that. That was awesome for them to say that. I think that as Jesus entered into a familiar home in Bethany and spent time with Lazarus and Martha and Mary, that that's how he felt. He felt very much at home with them. So in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he could hang out, he could uh, kick off his sandals, he uh, he could put his feet up, he could relax. He was with friends and he could just be who he was. There was a cartoon in the newspaper I saw, and the, the first frame showed uh, a thief that was wearing a mask and his gun was pointed toward a frightened victim. And the next scene is that the robber is holding out a sack and he's saying, give me all of your valuables. And in the next scene, the victim begins stuffing into this big sack all of his friends. Give me all of your valuables. It was a cartoon. So his friends were his valuables and he was just putting all of his valuables. Give me your valuables. And he was stuffing his valuables into this big bag. One guy said, You know, I don't have time for friends right now in my life. I'm just too busy for relationships. And another fellow commented in response. He said, I looked at him and I said, Sorry, but you're just too busy if you don't have time for your friends. One of the great tasks of life is building great friendships. And I think if you don't build them in the early and middle stages of your life, you could end up later in life pretty lonely, pretty lonely. I read the account of a pastor who told this story. He said, a few years ago, a lovely woman from Kenya worshipped with us for some time. So I asked her if she liked it being better in North America or if she liked being back in Kenya. Where where was she the most comfortable? And she grew rather quiet for a few moments. And then her face filled with emotion. And finally she spoke with deep feeling. She said, I think I like it better in Kenya. She said, here in North America, people are very busy and very wealthy. And instead of giving you themselves, they give you things. They give you gifts. They give you this. They give you that. But in Kenya, most of us are very poor. And we have nothing to give one another but ourselves but that we do give, we give ourselves. And she said, I miss the gift of people. I miss the gift of people. The late uh, Dr. Francis Schaeffer once remarked that the true religion of the Western world is not Christianity, but private peace and affluence, a really horrible value system that negates friendship. Private peace. Just leave me alone. Well, I want to brush up against uh, three friendship truths this morning that we learn from Jesus as he relates to probably that second closest set of friends in his life, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And the first friendship truth is this, the ability to be just who we are. The ability to be just who we are. That's an awesome reality when we're around true friendships. Luke gives us a little peek inside the home of two sisters engaged in a brief family squabble. And Lazarus, the brother, just seems to stay out of this one. Let the sisters go at it. (laughs) Wise guy. As Jesus and his disciples were traveling along, they came to the home of Martha so Martha was the owner of the home. They came to the home of Martha in Bethany. And Martha felt the burden of making a big dinner for her guests. We might assume probably that the rest of the disciples also landed in her home. So if you do the count, that's a pretty big group to feed. Twelve disciples, add Jesus it's 13, add Mary and Martha and Lazarus, at least 16 hungry mouths to feed. And Martha wanted to get the dinner underway and her sister Mary wanted to just be with Jesus. You probably remember the story. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what He taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now who knows? Maybe Martha is a perfectionist. But certainly she is feeling very overwhelmed, and the longer she works in the kitchen, the more ticked she gets. More and more smoke is coming out of her ears. She's getting a little bit peeved at Mary, her sister, and she's even getting a tad ticked at Jesus for allowing Mary to sit at His feet while she slaves in the background. Ah, Jesus handles it all very well. Kind of dangerous territory he's in. Uh, You have to be careful not to get between sisters. There's an old song with the famous refrain. I don't know if you've heard it. Lord, help the mister who comes between me and my sister. (laughs) And Lord, help the sister who comes between me and my mister. Well, one sister said to Jesus, Doesn't it seem unfair that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? I know we all kind of pile onto Martha when we preach this text, uh, but I think Max Lucato is right when he writes this. Every church needs a Martha. Change that. Every church needs a hundred Marthas. Sleeves rolled up. They keep the pace for the church. Because of Marthas, the church budgets get balanced. The buildings get repaired. The clean babies get bounced on knees in the nursery and so on. You you mean you don't appreciate Marthas until a Martha is missing. And all the Marys of the church start to scramble like keys. There's keys to lock this church up. There are fans. Where do you turn those fans off? Where do you turn the light switch off? The kitchen? Where is the kitchen? They've never done any of this behind-the-scene work before. They don't know what to do. We need the Marys, and we need the Marthas. And they both need to be at the feet of Jesus. And we also need to take up our place of serving. So it's always a balance, which is so important. But what we can't help but notice here is the candidness of the dialogue. I mean, you you would think if you had the preacher over, right, for lunch... For dinner? You'd want to make a good impression? No! My sister is not pulling her weight and I'm ticked. Martha is a no-nonsense gal and she lets Mary have it and she lets Jesus have it. She says what's on her heart. She says what's bothering her. Now I'm not I'm not advocating unbridled commentary in our families without some filters because that can produce some pretty deep wounds. But don't you think it, it's refreshing that there can be a level of comfortability among family and friends to be who we are? Permission to be who we are. To, permission to be upset at times. You know, one of the reasons that Martha m- might have been upset is the fact that her sister was abandoning the traditional role culturally of what she was supposed to do and here she is sitting at the feet of a rabbi Mary that's not your place that might be bugging her she's acting like a disciple but that's what Mary was she was a disciple she was so devoted so passionate she was going against the culture she's a disciple And she's not timid to be herself. Even in the company of Jesus, she's going to be who she's going to be. I love it. She feels deeply. She loves intensely. I mean, they were both strong, right? In their own way. But obviously, Jesus was able to say in an affirming way, so Martha could receive it as well. Mary has chosen well. So Martha, don't be too hard on her. She's not covering all the details in the kitchen, but her heart is to grow and to love and to drink it in, and that's all very commendable. Martha, she's very honoring to me. I mean, all of us as siblings uh, are different from one another. It was true for my brother and I as we grew up on the farm. We were quite different. I don't feel like I really came to know my brother until middle age. And then we kind of connected in it with our hearts but when we were growing up we were so different and we have the joy of three daughters and they're all different but I remember the little squabbles in the bathroom mom my sister's hogging the bathroom I can't get my hair done oh yeah that was that was a common refrain sisters brothers we all grow up and we're all so different and that's a gift of God we're all different. One woman said that she has uh, five siblings, three sisters and two brothers. And one night she was chatting with her mother about how her mother had changed over the years, uh, raising from the first child to the last child. I mean, has that ever happened to you that there's are kind of a change in the standard and that first child just, really, everything has gotta be in line? And by the time you get to the third child or the fourth child, you've loosened off a little bit. Well, her mother agreed that she had mellowed a lot. When your oldest sister coughed or sneezed, she said, I called the ambulance. However, when your youngest brother swallowed a dime, I just said, it's coming out of your allowance. So parents do mellow. Sometimes younger siblings can seem just a little bit spoiled. I mean, I know it's a stereotype but often a little bit true as well. You know what's wonderful about authentic Christian friends? They provide a place to be who you are. Some days you're Martha, <laughs> the next day you're Mary, some day you're, you're Lazarus, yes. We can be our true selves. We can't grow if we aren't free to be who we are and to admit our struggles. And the closer the friend you have, the more vulnerable you can become. Trust is such a big issue. If you have a friend in your life that you can really trust, it's an amazing gift. And when you build that trust, you open a door to be able to speak into another person's life. And that's what friendship does. You can encourage, you can guide, you can give your best thoughts, and you can say, I'd like you to consider this. And they will. I may be wrong about this, but I want you to think about this. We all want to have friends like that. Someone in your life with whom you can completely be who you are. Do you give people the freedom to be themselves on their way to becoming who God wants them to be? So the first ability uh, is to be just who we are. That's just what friends do. They allow people to be who they are. The second ability is to talk about hard issues. To talk about hard issues. In another gospel, the gospel of John, we encounter another dialogue between Jesus and Mary and Martha. And it's John chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet, And wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now you can see again from the passage that there's a very dear relationship uh, that existed between Jesus and Lazarus and the two sisters. And the two sisters sent a message to Jesus saying, Your friend is sick. You should know that. And it would be wonderful if you could come. No, it didn't say that, but I think you can read between the lines. Jesus, we need you now. <laughs> we need you more than we've ever needed you before. Uh, it's really interesting, the messages that we give without really saying the, me- the true message from our hearts. Lord, your dear friend is very sick. P.S. Real message, come as quickly as you can come. We need you right now. Lazarus, of course, was not one of the 12 disciples, but he was a very dear friend of Jesus. Now, this is all very strange, really. Jesus purposefully delayed his departure, uh, confidently declaring, this sickness will not end in death. Now, we, we feel the tension as we read this. Jesus, you need to get here as fast as you can. He's very sick. He could die. But look at this verse 5. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, He stayed where He was for the next two days. Finally, He said to His disciples, Let's go back to Judea. What is that? Actually, Jesus knew that Lazarus had died. He told his disciples that in verse 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sakes I'm glad I wasn't there. Now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So by the time that Jesus arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has already died. In fact, Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. The funeral's over. The neighbors are coming and going and they're consoling Martha and Mary And verse 20 says, When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet Him, but Mary stayed in the house. Hmm. Now, Jesus apparently didn't come right to the house. He stayed outside the little village of Bethany. And uh, Martha went out to meet Him, but Mary didn't go. Now, I wondered about that. Uh, First, I, I wondered if Mary was too hurt to want to see Jesus. Was she upset at him? Oh, so now you come. After all, she she had asked him to come and he didn't come. But I think on second thought, that's going too far. I mean, they both couldn't leave the house because they had guests who had come to express their sympathy and their love uh, to Mary and so one of them had to stay in the house. But Martha came and she said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Oh, Martha picked up on that right away and she said, Oh, I know, I know, Lord, at the last day. I agree he will rise then. So it's getting to be quite a conversation. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in, in, who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? It's quite a conversation. And friends can have conversations like that. We can have some strong views. Uh, and when you have strong views, views can alienate. We can become alienated on our position on politics pretty easily these days. In 2017, I've never seen politics alienate people so quickly. But but not with true friends. Because we love our friends, we can disagree with our friends, and yet not break a relationship. Now here's Martha and Jesus talking by the side of the road at the entrance, uh, at the outskirts of Bethany, and was Jesus feeling a little bit defensive at Martha's statement, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died? You, You have to hear the tone on this comment, or you could misconstrue it. Jesus might have perceived this as a blame statement. You should have been here. You should have been here. Or he could have heard it as Martha expressing her belief in the power that Jesus still had to change things around. I mean, it may have been complimentary. Lord, of course, if you would have been here, things would have been a whole lot different. Lord, I mean, everything's different when you're here. And If you would have been here, wow, you'd have changed everything. And see, that's the problem with a text. Not just this text but in all the texting we do. How did he say that? Was that negative? And that's why the invention of those little emoticons, the smiling faces, saves the day every day. Keep them handy. Because sometimes you, you, you write very quickly and you might, somebody else might, what was he trying to say with that? And they read something into it. And Jesus didn't have any trouble challenging Martha. He takes her thinking to the next level. He tells her that He is the resurrection and the life. And He asks her a hard question. Do you believe this, Martha? And in her grief, maybe this would have never come out so succinctly and clearly, she is challenged to declare one of the greatest confessions of faith. Wow, it just emerges out of her heart. It came because she was having a frank conversation. It just reminds you of the Apostle Paul, uh, Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who are you, Lord? I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Martha says, I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Oh my, that came right out of her mouth. I've always believed that. You are the Messiah. Friends can talk. Friends can share their pain. Friends can explore new truths together. Friends have permission to ask tough questions. Friends can say, I don't know either. That just beats me. Friends can say, I don't have it together in my life either. It's a real struggle of mine. Spiritual friends don't just show up at a funeral and leave because they know in the weeks and months to come that that's when the tough times follow. The loneliness comes and the grief settles into a long, dull ache. And it's so good to be able to talk. Martha's having that talk with Jesus. And it's so good to be in a home group. Uh, or a life group. Uh, it takes time to get to know one another. We're just starting our home groups for the fall here at, South, uh, at uh, TCC. And we have, to, we have to give it time. We have to give it time to get to know one another in a, in a small group. But it's worth the time. Just keep working on building those bridges. And you might look back and you say, some of my greatest friends uh, were in that, are in that, that home group. I didn't know them before, but I began to see who they are and their their pain and their love and their interests and their relationships, and I've learned so much from them. Jesus' plan was to invest in a small number of people to build into their lives, encourage them in, in, in equipping them and to do the same with others. And Paul picks up on that in 2 Timothy 2. He says, Timothy, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to others who will in turn be able to entrust them to others. And the plan kind of seems simple and elementary, but in fact, Christianity is the longest sustained transformation force in the history of the world, one by one, by one, by one. And it moves forward through the world. So number one, the ability to be who we are. Number two, the ability to have hard conversations. It's just what friends do. And then thirdly, let me just brush up against this truth. Friends are aware of the needs of others' friends. And they often have an encouraging word for you. That's what's great about friends. Uh, A religious poll asked people this question, do you believe in the second coming of Christ? And if the respondent said yes, a subsequent question was put to them, what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming back today? (laughs) And one young man replied, look busy, man, look busy. I mean, isn't that the mindset of our age? Too often we are identified by our busyness, by the things that we wanna do, by what we wanna achieve. And then I look at Mary. Look at Mary. Actually, the reference is in the next chapter, chapter 12 of John. Uh, Jesus is once again in the home of Lazarus. Here's a, here he is again, his friend. And a dinner was prepared. And in the midst of that dinner, Mary empties a 12-ounce bottle of expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. And she wiped his feet with her hair. Oh, when you think of it, that was such a gracious act that Mary did. She broke all the cultural norms, again, that's Mary. And she got accused by Judas of being wasteful. Oh, we could have given this and sold it, uh, given it to the poor. <laughs> Judas, yes Judas, yes Judas. But to Jesus, on His way to the cross, this is such an awesome moment. Someone got it. Someone got it. Mary got it. Someone understood what he was going through. Someone stood with him through all of this. Someone read his preoccupation. Someone read the troubled heart. Someone read the load that he was carrying. Mary knew what was about to happen. She knew what she was doing. This wasn't just about being extravagant with perfume. She knew what she was doing. She was spiritually sensitive. She'd been listening when Jesus spoke about His suffering and His death. And her eyes were on Jesus and she noticed the burden He was carrying. She saw the preoccupation. And when the Spirit prompted her to do something, something risky, she was all in. She was all in. And, you know, I I thought of this. Maybe Jesus needed someone else to remind him of his father's presence and his father's sovereignty over what was going to transpire in the days ahead. And Mary was there for him. A timely word from Mary. Oh. Friends, can you read the people in your circle. Who needs a word from God? Who needs a word from God? Who needs a hug? Who needs just a simple word of encouragement? How powerful when you are there, when you see it, and when you are obedient as you are prompted by the Holy Spirit to make a risky move That will be just what the person needs from a dear friend. Oh, listen. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. It's just what friends do. To be who we are. To have difficult conversations. And to be aware of the needs of our friends. To be aware of the needs of our friends. Could I have you take a moment this morning to think about what God might be saying to you with respect to your friendships. What thought is he putting in your mind in these last 30 minutes? What's, what's the dominating thought? What is he saying? Would you just acknowledge that, just put a little circle around that in your mind, and respond? Would you bow with me, Would you, just, just as we sit, would you just bow? Would you just say, Lord, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? And allow the Lord to speak into your heart today. What are you saying to to me? What are you saying to my brothers and my sisters here today? Would you help us to hear you? Lord, almost always you have something you want to say through your word to us in a very specific way. So I pray we'll hear you today not only hear you, but respond. And Lord, I thank you for modeling a beautiful friendship with Lazarus and Mary, Martha. And with the 12 guys that you pulled around, you, you invested your life into them. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our friend. what a friend we have in you. We thank you for your friendship, Lord, uh, that uh, that you pour into uh, awesome people like the people around me this morning. And Lord, you, there's always a beautiful timing and someone prays a prayer and Lord, there you are in the midst of that prayer. Well, someone gives a hug and it's absolutely right on time. Somebody writes a note and... We read that a hundred times because there was something about that note that ministered to our spirit. Lord, thank you for the value of friendship. Help us, Lord, to treasure the friends that we have. Help us to keep cultivating new friendships as we journey through life. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.